bless the Lord and we give thanks for all of his many blessings, among which is this time we've been able to share together, remembering him, fixing our eyes on him, thinking of this one who traveled through this world as a pilgrim, one who was lonely, he experienced loneliness, he experienced suffering and sorrow. But we know that this wasn't the end of the story. And we follow Him now. We follow Him as well in this uh, weary wilderness world. Um, But not with our heads down. We follow Him looking up. Because just as we sang a few seconds ago, we dwell with Him above. So we set our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Um, Let's turn to Mark 9. I'd like to think a little bit this morning on the Mount of Transfiguration where three of the Lord's dearest friends saw His glory ahead of time. Saw Him revealed in glorious light and then had to go back down the mountain. And I'd like us to think this morning about those mountaintop experiences and how they can help us navigate life in the valley. And even as we read this little account, I would encourage you to think about some such experience that you've had with the Lord. Have you seen His glory? Have you had a time where it seemed that heaven and earth were so close that they were almost brushing up against one another? Have you had a time where something broke through of the truth and beauty of God to the point where you really could almost see His glory. Think about that time. And if you don't have a time like that, I pray that you will. I believe that there are these experiences that we go through in this life where God will bless us with a special like, glimpse of Him to fuel us as we wander through this wilderness. And this is what gift He gave to Peter, James, and John. Chapter 9, verse 1, And He, that's Jesus, said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. 
Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. There's a lot happening here, but really this morning I just want us to think about that glimpse of truth that they were given there. Up to this point, they had seen the Lord Jesus doing many interesting things, many amazing things. They heard Him say some shocking, beautiful things, but they had never yet seen the truth that this was not just a mere miracle worker, a holy man, a good teacher. This was God in the flesh come into this world to visit them, to dwell with them. That was the truth that they were confronted with that day. I can think about a few times in my own life, and even recently, when I've perhaps been spending time with the Lord, singing worship song. I Recently I was spending some time alone, and of course I can never talk about these times without getting emotional, so... But I was, I was singing this song. You know, it said, You're enough. You're enough. I will be content in every circumstance. You are enough. And for, something happened. I don't, know what, I don't know how to explain it. It was just, I was knocked over by the beauty of the Lord. And words like we see in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth. I desire beside you. And I was just, there's no other way to explain it. I feel like I was just knocked over with the beauty of the Lord. But guess what? It doesn't last. That does not last. And it didn't last for these three men either. As they, even as they were walking down the mountain, reality began, a different type of reality began to settle in. Think about being up on a mountain. I've been there. I've been on mountains before. The air is clear. It's crisp. You can get a real sense. Brother Laurel knows what I'm talking about. Those Jamaican mountains, those hills. You're up on top, and the air is clear. And then as you start going down, it gets muggy. It gets foggy. It gets cloudy and confusing. And this is exactly what happened to the disciples. As they came down the mountain, they met three things that I think we meet as well. Confusion, challenges, and conflict. That's what life is all about, isn't it? I mean, that sums up our week. Confusion, challenges, and conflict. You know, right away we see them, and I don't have time to read, but in Mark 9 and 10, this is what we see. They come down and immediately they're met with confusion. In fact, Jesus told them, don't tell anyone what you've seen. And they asked Him in verse 11, why did the scribes say 
that Elijah must come first, and already they're confused. Right? They don't know. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the promises. Then a little later on, Jesus tells them, "I'm going to die, and suffer, suffer and die at the hands of men." And they just are like, oh, "This is confusing. I don't understand. I don't understand." And you and I face that same thing. There are things in this life that can be confusing. That person who is going hard after the Lord, a beautiful, living a beautiful life, blessing others, all of a sudden they're snatched away into glory with no warning, tragically. And we just are like, oh, what? That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That person at work that schemes and they're always, they got a foul mouth and they're always stealing money from the cash register, they get promoted to manager. It just doesn't seem right. You know, and we, right when we feel like we understand something about God, about ourselves, about the world, we're hit upside the head with confusing circumstances. And the disciples were as well. Not only that, we meet challenges that we sometimes aren't able to overcome. As they come down, what do they find? A demoniac, someone demon-possessed. Not No time to read it, but in all three accounts of the transfiguration, this is the first scene that we're, we're seeing right after it. A demon-possessed man that the disciples cannot heal. And I'm sure that was very frustrating. Right? Here are these 12 men. They've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Himself and given authority over demons and disease. And someone comes and says, I'm bringing my son to you. Uh, We got this. We got this. And they do all their... I don't know exactly what they did. I can just imagine. Andrew, you know, he's doing something and Philip's like, that's not working, you know. Let me try it. Nothing they did worked. And you and I are going to face challenges that we are not up to. And this too can bring discouragement. Some of the things that God has laid out in front of you are hard, hard to do. You know, Jesus would tell them later in the house, He said, this kind can't come out except with intense prayer. You're not praying enough. So in other words, He had to keep teaching them, and He does for us too. But no matter how good we are at being a Christian, there's going to be some challenges that cause us to trip up. And not only that, and this is kind of sad, we also meet with conflict, even conflict among other believers. So these very people, Peter, James, and John, in a little bit we're going to see James and John tell the Lord, do, with us, do to us whatever we ask of you. We want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. And Peter and everyone else got mad about that. And they fought. And they were arguing. How dare you? I'm the greatest in the kingdom. And so we too are going to encounter conflict like that. Obviously conflict with the world, but even conflict within our own families, within our own within the assembly. So the question is, what is the relationship between the Mount of Transfiguration and this valley of confusion, challenge, and conflict. And what I'd encourage us to do 
is to try to begin bringing the two together. I wonder how often that experience went through the minds of Peter, James, and John until they died. I wonder how often they would be walking along and kind of confused, but they were like, I remember that experience with Jesus. I don't understand everything, but I know this is God walking in front of me. You know, it's really an interesting line. As they're going to Jerusalem, I was just looking at this earlier. Um, they They were going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking up ahead of them, and the disciples were greatly amazed. Why? Because he had already told them he was going to die in Jerusalem. And so, but he was he was determined. And I'm sure they were dragging their feet. I don't want to go over there. We don't want to lose you. So I could imagine Peter, James, and John walking, seeing their master practically running to Jerusalem where he was going to be killed. And I can imagine them saying, I don't understand all this, but I remember what I saw. And I know the truth, a deeper truth than all of this confusing stuff I'm encountering here. This is God I'm following. And we too can have that assurance. If you're writing things down, I'd like us to take five or six strategies that we can do that I think can help us to make the most of those mountaintop experiences. Hopefully you have something in your mind of that kind of experience where it became more than just dead words on a page, more than just your parents telling you some truth, but a real experience of God. What can we do with them? First, we can record them. We can record them. We can write it down. I want to turn just just briefly to John. John 1. We can write down these things. You know, most uh, Bible scholars say that John Mark got his information about the Gospel from Peter. And so I could imagine Peter telling him, write this one down, you know, because Jesus said, don't tell anyone about the Mount of Transfiguration until I die and I'm raised. And But once Jesus had ascended, I can imagine him saying, okay, I've got something to tell you. Write this down. And he told him of that experience. And when we record it, in other words, when we write it down, it becomes firm in our mind. We don't forget it. It helps us to remember. And you know, John also, as he's writing his gospel, he says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, this means a lot of things. There are lots of ways that He beheld the glory of the Lord. But I know in His mind, He was remembering that mountain. We saw His glory. We didn't make it up. This was real. It wasn't just some kind of hallucination. It was real. And so we record it so we don't forget it. Secondly, we reinforce it. If you could turn over to 2 Peter, 
What do I mean reinforce it? In other words, we go to the Word and whatever truths we feel like we experience during that spiritual high, you might say, that mountaintop experience, we begin to confirm them in Scripture. That's what that means. That's what that means. You know, sometimes we can get carried away with our emotions. We might, you know, things get kind of out of control with these spiritual highs, these, you know, whatever you want to call it. A, they may, they call, sometimes call it a, a charismatic experience or something like that. People can get carried away with our emotional experiences. And so what we do is we reinforce whatever truths God has given us by going back to the Word. By going back to the Word. There's a really lovely example in 2 Peter as he's giving the believers of his day, and of course all of us, the truths that we see in the second epistle of Peter. He tells us this in verse 16. Once again, Peter's mind goes back to the mountain. For we did not... This is 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And what's His explanation here? And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And so what we see here, we see several things that Peter is doing with this experience. First, he's also recording it, right? Writing it down. But he's reinforcing it. In other words, when he saw the glory of the Lord revealed, he began to look back at the Old Testament with fresh eyes. And he saw prophecy fulfilled in his coming. Of course, that's symbolized for him very nicely by the fact that Elijah and Moses were both there, basically, kind of giving honor to Jesus. These two, you know, stalwart saints of the Jewish faith were basically saying, just like John the Baptist, we're not worthy to untie your sandals. You know? And so, Jesus is coming, and what was revealed there on the mountain was fulfilling prophecy. And so you and I, when we have these spiritual experiences, these spiritual highs, these mountaintop experiences, let's confirm them, let's reconfirm them, reaffirm them by searching the Scriptures and seeing it revealed there. That's what was true that was shown to me. That love that I felt, that warmness in my heart, it was real, and this is what it meant. And that's why we don't want to stray too far away from the Bible so that our spiritual experiences don't lead us off track into heresy or something, but they keep us grounded. They redirect us back into Scripture with fresh eyes and fresh passion to find that truth confirmed. He's not only reaffirming it, he's recapturing 
recounting it. In other words, he's telling somebody. Recounting it. You know, I had this other experience. I won't go into it. It's kind of complicated. But while I was working editing the calendar, I really felt like uh, this, the man, uh, the Lord is near calendar. And the man that I do it with, he and I were reading through this one day. And I had this real experience of God being with us in that. And he and I were really shocked by it. And I've been telling lots of people. I, I wrote a letter and told my mom, you know, and... When we tell other people, it becomes more real. I remember when Brother Viv, shortly after uh, Diane experienced this really miraculous healing after Maurice was born. I don't know if anyone remembers, but she had a problem with her hip that was uh, degenerative. Really, it was no cure to it. And she experienced the miraculous healing of that hip right after uh, Maurice was born during that six months. And I remember we were talking to Brother Viv and he kept saying, tell people, keep talking about it, right? And to tell you the truth, I haven't been. I, I kind of forget. <laughs> but what we do is we keep recounting it and every time we recount it, it's like it comes back to us again. That same fuel, that's, I don't know, that's a bad metaphor, but that same spiritual fuel is injected back into our life so that we're going through the confusion the challenges, the conflict. We're able to face them with energy, dynamism, spiritual depth, and reality. So don't forget to tell, recount these times to others. And then lastly, just one more, to ruminate. Ruminate. They're all R's, right? So that makes it helpful to remember. You know, we, we record it. We want to reaffirm it in Scripture. We want to recount it to others. Remember it, right? But ruminate on it. In other words, chew on it. Chew on it. Those times that you spend with the Lord, they're not all going to feel like that. But don't be afraid to sit and to meditate. That's what meditate means. It's to ruminate. To chew on it. And get the nutrients out of that food. You know, if you wolf down your food, you just swallow it whole, you're not getting the benefit. That's why they say, chew your food 32 times. I don't know, I'm not sure why 32 is the magic number. That's what I heard when I was young. Is that true? But when you chew it, you chew, chew, chew. You're breaking it down. You're getting all the nutrients out of it. So let's do that with these experiences. Don't just let them fall to the ground. And move on because life is hard and it's going to get harder sad to say I mean I, I could tell that to Maurice he's young but life's going to get harder for him for all of us we face challenges and so God gives us these gifts of close you might call it close encounters of a spiritual kind so let's make the most of them uh, that we might be able to walk worthy of the calling that he's uh, called us to, for his name's sake.